Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. We began last week a a series that we're doing over three parts called the Stewardship Series. And in this series, we're discovering God's principles governing financial stewardship, giving, blessing, and the myths we have about money. Now, if you're here for the first time today and you're coming along thinking, you know, churches, they just talk about money. I can promise you this is an unusual service that you found yourself in today, right? Because typically we don't talk that much about money, but for the next three Sundays, we're taking three out of long, just relax. But I trust that you're going to get something out of what we're sharing as well this morning. And so we started that series looking at financial stewardship and the principles of the Bible that govern financial stewardship, giving, blessing. And next week, we're going to look at the myths we have about money. Uh, why do this series now? Well, there's, there's kind of a few reasons why. One is because I believe that actually our Sundays, and particularly our sermons, should apply to our everyday lives, right? That, that what we preach about on Sundays shouldn't just make sense on Sundays, it should make sense every other day of the week as well. Uh, really great preaching isn't about taking really simple things and making them complicated, so that it sounds like the preacher's smart. Really great preaching is about taking things that are complicated and making them simple so they can be applied to our everyday lives. The Bible has a lot to say about things that pertain to our everyday lives. That they say that in marriage, the two things that people fight about most is sex and money. And so if we're going to preach sermons that, that actually apply to our everyday lives, we ought to talk about the things that you and I talk about regularly, even in our own marriages. I'm really looking forward to the sex series we do later on. Hoping to learn a few things. Uh, Number two, because I want our church, I want our church to have a strong biblical foundation for financial stewardship. Uh, Thirdly, because it's June and it's end of financial year, right? So if you're in business, everybody right now is talking about money. And so when the whole world is talking about money, why wouldn't we go to the Bible and say, what's the Bible got to say on that very matter? Here's the fourth reason. There's no offering coming up. That's an advantage for me as the pastor, right? Our annual Thanksgiving offering will happen on the 5th of November. It's a long way away. And so we can talk about this now, but without it feeling like, well, you're just talking about this now, Dan, because you've got an offering coming up next week, and that's the reason why you're talking about it. Our Thanksgiving offering is a long way away, but this gives me the chance to be able to talk about something that you and I talk about regularly in our own homes, right? But, But for it not to feel like it's connected to some offering that's coming up. And here's the fifth reason, and this is really true. I've found in my life, I'm sure you've found it in your own, if you can prove God's faithfulness in the area of finance, you'll prove it in every other area of your life as well. Billy Graham put it like this. He said, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it'll straighten out almost every other area in his life too. Isn't that what Jesus said? That where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Why? Because it's impossible to talk about money and not talk about our heart because few things reveal our heart quite like the way we spend our money. And so last week we started this series on stewardship, right? And for those who were here in this service, and this was quite a delight, right? At the end of that service, three people made decisions to follow Christ. That's almost counterintuitive, right? Because generally the thinking is, well, if you talk about money, people will leave the church. No, no, if you talk about money, you're actually talking about people's hearts. And so it should not be lost on us that at the end of last week's service, three people made commitments to follow Christ. That's worth giving God a praise for, right? 
And so we're going to continue on this series. Last week, to, to catch you up, if, if you missed last week's message, you can jump onto our podcast, which is our Sunday sermons, and uh, catch up on last week's um, message. But uh, to give you a quick recap, we, we looked at Matthew 25, and we looked about where Jesus tells the parable of the talents. But looking at the big idea of stewardship, that stewardship, the big idea is that everything you think you own is actually on loan. That's what stewardship really identifies, that everything you think you own is actually on loan. And you and I are called to steward it, steward it well for the glory of God, the one who gives it to us. And so stewardship is broader than just finance. Stewardship applies to your time and your talents and your opportunities, but, but it also does pertain to finance as well. And the truth is, for each one of us, we can start to think, well, you know, well, what I have is mine. You know, I worked hard for it and, and it, and it belongs to me and it was out of my blood, sweat and tears. But, but stewardship helps us to be reminded that, that actually every good thing that finds its way into my life, it comes from God. That's what James chapter one, verse 17 says. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above. And so every good thing that finds its way into my life actually comes as a result of God. And the temptation is to think that it's mine because I worked for it. But who gave us those talents? Who gave us those abilities? Who put oxygen in our lungs, right? Who gave us the very life that we live? And so every good and perfect thing comes from God. And it's my responsibility to steward that well. You can think about it a different way. You can think about it this way, that, that every bit of wealth that you'll own in your lifetime existed before you. And it will also exist after you. What you and I are called to do is to steward well what God has entrusted to us. There was an older gentleman who was given a few months to live and had amassed quite an amount of a fortune over his lifetime. But he hadn't spent much of it and, and now, given this prognosis, realized he probably wasn't going to have the chance to spend it all anyway. And so he decided he was going to get these special cases. That, that, that when, he, when he died, as he rose towards heaven, he, he would try and grab these special cases and take some of his fortune with him. So he bought several of these cases and stashed them with some of the cash that he had been keeping and some of the gold that he had kept in a safe. But well, a few months later, he passed away. And after the wake was over, his wife went up into the attic to see where these suitcases were that he'd prepared, that as he rose towards heaven, he'd take them. Well, lo and behold, in the middle of the floor were the cases still sitting there. And so she walked over to them and she looked down at the floor and she screamed, See, Harry, I told you, you should have put them in the basement. <laughs> Stewardship is the idea that everything you think you own is actually on loan. It existed before you, and it will exist after you. You can't take it with you. But how you use it either brings glory to God as the giver or doesn't. And it's important for us to remember that because stewardship reinforces this idea that actually God is my provider. And that's incredibly important to get your head around, right? Because you won't hear that on the news. You won't read that in any of the major Australian newspapers, right? But God is your provider. The Comsec gloom gauge won't point out the fact that God is your provider, but God is your provider, right? Your employer is not your provider. Your employer is your, is your employer. Your clients are not your provider. Your invoices are not your provider. God is your provider. And so God places this big idea of stewardship throughout Scripture for us to get our head around the idea that everything we think we own is actually alone. And so we believe in the principle of stewardship, but we also believe in the principle of tithing because within the big idea of stewardship, God places a principle called the tithe. 
That the tithe is a reminder to us that actually all of it belongs to God. And the way we keep that right in our own hearts is by returning a tenth to him. And so we believe in the principle of stewardship, but we also believe in the principle of tithing, which is about returning the first tenth of all of our increase into the local storehouse, into our local church. And that, that tithe is actually for our benefit to keep our hearts right about who we honor first, God, about where our increase comes from, God, about who our provider is, God. And it's the habit that keeps money out of my heart by reminding me who it was who gave it to me in the first place. Let me mention a couple of things before we get into the scripture this morning. You know, there's this statement, first things first. This morning, we're looking at that, right? We're looking at the principle of the tithe, which is tied up in a much bigger idea in Scripture called stewardship. But when it comes to biblical principles governing financial stewardship, here's the truth. There's no way I could cover everything the Bible says on money and possessions in three Sundays. And there's no way you want me to preach on money for the next three months, right? And so there's a whole lot that that I'm not going to have the chance to be able to say. That's part of the reason why we've said for people, if you want to be able to grab one of these books or a number of other resources about what the Bible has to say about money, that'd be really helpful to you. I'd encourage you to do that. But but here's the other part, that that even if you get the other principles when it comes to financial stewardship right, if you miss this one, the tithe, the first fruits, then you'll actually miss the one that promises the blessing. So let me say two things before we read the scripture. Here's the first one, and you need to hear me say this this morning. Whether or not you choose to give, is actually a matter between you and God. It's a matter of your own heart. It's a matter of your worship. You need to hear me say that, okay? Whether you choose to give or not is actually a matter between you and God. This morning, I'm going to go through some of the things that Scripture has to say about this. But, but my prayer in it is that you and I would, wouldn't just listen to what I've got to say, but would, it would begin a conversation even for us and God, right? Whether you choose to give or not is a matter between you and God. Here's the other thing you need to hear me say this. Whether you choose to give or not will not change how you're pastored at MCC. You need to hear me say that. And part of the reason is because none of our pastors have any idea who gives what. That's important. Um, We have a bookkeeper, we have an accountant, and we have auditors, right? And and so um, we have our monthly financial reports that our eldership board sees, right? We have our weekly cash flow that's updated, but we have our balance sheet, but what we see is consolidated financials. So, so I know how much is given in a week, but I don't know where it comes from or who gave what. And it's important for you to know for this reason, because whether you choose to give or not is actually a matter between you and God. And what's more, right? Whether you choose to give or not at MCC, you won't be pastored differently. And I say that because I realize that for all of us, we would have different experiences. I remember a number of years ago sharing with a lady um, this, these very thoughts. And at the end of the service, she came up to me and she said, you know, this is the first time I've been in church for a really long time. It's kind of funny that you're talking about money. And she explained to me she'd grown up in a Dutch Reformed church in South Africa. And her experience of church had been that in the announcements time, like we had just before, they would put an honor roll on the screen of, of who had given that week. And then once that was over, they'd put up another slide that would be for the families who are part of the church who hadn't given that week. I would have had no idea that that was actually her experience, right? 
That's a very different experience to my experience, right? But, but I also realize that depending on your church experience, right, and it might not be as drastic as that, you need to hear me say that. Whether you choose to give or not is between you and God. And whether you choose to give or not at MCC will not change how you're pastored here. So let's begin. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 6 is where we're going this morning. You can turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have your Bible in front of you, it'll also be on the screen. Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. This is what the Bible says. God says, I am the Lord. I do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, God says, how are we to return? Verse 8. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In the tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. We're looking at this morning the principle of the tithe, the principle of the first fruits, otherwise referred to in Scripture as well as the principle of the firstborn. And here's the first thing when it comes to the principle of the tithe. Many of us, if you've been in church, will have heard Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. It's an often quoted verse. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me in this, says God, and see if I won't throw open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing you won't even have room to contain it. But, but perhaps you haven't considered just actually where that verse sits in context, that in the second last chapter of the Old Testament, just a fraction away from the gospel, right? God actually says to Israel, he says, you're robbing me. You don't even realize that you're doing it, but you're robbing me. And you say, well, how are we robbing you guys? He says, in the tithes and the offerings. It's in that context that God says, come on, test me in this. Come on, honor what I've asked you to be able to do, because if you do that, I promise you that you can test me and I'll show myself to be faithful. In fact, I'll rebuke the devourer on your behalf. That's the context of Malachi chapter 3. And so here's the first point. It's a very short point. It'll happen very quickly. The tithe is a tenth. The word that we translate as tithe literally means a tenth. And so this principle you find in multiple places throughout Scripture, but the principle of the tithe is a tenth. It's also referred to as the principle of the first fruits or the principle of the firstborn, where God says, a tenth belongs to me. Point two is done. Point one is done. Point two. The tithe is not just a tenth. The tithe is the first tenth. So I brought some cash with me this morning. I've got 10 $10 notes here. So for most of us, right, we would we'd get the idea that, that a tithe is a tenth, right? So in these 10 $10 notes, how much is a tithe? $10. Great. But, but God says that actually the, the tithe belongs to him, right? It's holy. We're going to look at this a little bit more down the track. So, so the tithe is a tenth, but, but which 10 is supposed to be the tithe? Oh, come on, you guys, you're too good at this stuff. Right? The answer is the first. 
That if all of these, right, all of this stewardship, all of this belongs to God. It all came into my life as a result of the goodness of God. And God asked me to be able to give back 10, right? So 10%. But, but it's not just any 10 in the deck of 10. It's the first one that leaves my hand. And so the tithe isn't just a tenth. The tithe is the first tenth to leave my hand. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9 and 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so that your barns be filled with plenty and your vats will brim over with new wine. That God says, actually, it's the first that belongs to God. That it's saying, God, I'm going to give you the first and trust you to be able to redeem the rest, right? Well, in Old Testament times, most people were farmers. And so they raised animals and they grew crops for a living. And so increase would come in the form of crops when they were harvested or livestock when they were, produ- when they were produced. And God says the tithe, the first, belongs to me. And so if you apply that to an agricultural society, you begin to understand some of what is actually taking place when the Scripture talks about the tithe. That when a firstborn lamb is born in a flock, it's not possible to know how many other lambs the you might produce. But God says, I don't just want one of the lambs. I want the first. It's the first that belongs to me. And in giving me the first, I'll redeem the rest. But when the first lamb is produced, that there's no guarantee that the you will have any more. Nonetheless, God says, not let your you produce nine lambs and then you give me the 10th one. Rather, God says, I want the first one. That's the one that belongs to me. Why? Because it requires faith to give the first. That's why tithing is so important. It's the primary way that we acknowledge that God is first and exercise faith. That that faith is required to give the first, but also the first portion is the redemptive portion. In other words, when the first portion is given, God redeems the rest. You remember right back in the start of the Bible, the very first offering that was ever given was given by Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, this is what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock um, and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Right back at the very start of Genesis. In fact, this interaction produces such such anger in Cain that eventually it leads to him killing his own brother, right? And I've read this passage before and thought, what was the difference between the two? You know, Cain brings his offering of, of the fruit of the ground and, and, and Abel brings his offering, that the firstborn and, and the fat thereof, and, and, and thought, is it just that God's not a vegetarian? Which is actually a good point. It's a good point. But of course, that's not what God is getting at. Why did God respect Abel's offering and not Cain's offering? Because that's what the scripture says, right? And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And and so why did God respect Abel's offering and not Cain's? Notice what the scripture says. The Bible makes a point to tell us, and very clearly, that the offering that Abel brought was the firstborn of his flock. But, But it doesn't say that Cain bought the first fruits of his crop. The key is actually in the start of the passage. This is what the scripture says. We just read it. And in, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering. In other words, what is God trying to point out to us? He's trying to point out that in other words, Cain 
grew his crops. And then in the process of time, when he got around to it, he brought an offering to the Lord. And so God accepted Abel's offering because he brought of the first. But but for Cain, the real key is in the process of time, once he'd gotten around to it, once he'd remembered that it was, oh, yeah, I've got to do that. And he eventually brought an offering to the Lord. And God said, I can respect that one, but I can't respect that one. Not because of what they gave but because of when they gave. And so the tithe isn't just a tenth. It must be the first. Why? Because God must be first, right? And because it requires faith to give the first. And because it's the first that redeems the rest. And notice Leviticus 27. We can do a lot of scriptures today, right? Leviticus 27 and verse 30 says this, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed or of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is... It is holy to the Lord. That the God says, actually, the tithe isn't just a tenth, it's the first tenth. And not only that, it's holy, it belongs to me. And so it, it's holy. Holy means to be set apart. It, it means to be put aside for a special purpose. And so not only does the first tenth have faith on it, and not only does the first tenth redeem the rest, but, but actually the first tenth is the holy part of the increase. Romans chapter 11, verse 16. It says this, it says, if the first fruit is holy, then the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And so here's the important part. The first portion is the portion that redeems the rest. That why God, that's why God says it's not just any tenth, it's the first tenth. It's the first tenth, the first portion that carries the blessing. That's why you don't want to give the first portion to your home loan repayments. You don't want to give the first tenth to your bills. You don't want to give the first tenth to your holiday fund. And all those things are important, but but not for the first tenth, because the first tenth belongs to God. And so the tithe is a tenth, but the tithe is also not just any tenth, it's the first tenth. Here's the third thing. The tithe is a test. It's a test of my heart. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, we read it at the start. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty. Truth is, the tithe is not just a tenth and it's not just the first tenth, but it's actually a test of my heart. Will I honour God first? Will I exercise faith first? Will I acknowledge God as my provider of every good thing in my life? Will I demonstrate that I'm a steward and I understand that I'm a steward, not an owner? You know, throughout the Bible, numbers are incredibly important. And throughout the Bible, the number 10 constantly represents testing. Think about it. How many plagues were there in Egypt? There was 10, right? Right? In other words, how many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? 10 times, 10 plagues. How many commandments are there? There's 10. How many times did God test Jacob's heart by allowing his wages to be changed when he worked for Laban? Some of you are like, I need to double check that one. It's 10, all right? It's 10. How many times was Daniel tested in the first chapter of the book of Daniel? It's 10. And that pattern continues in the New Testament. In Matthew 25, how many virgins had their preparedness tested in the parable that Jesus told? 10. There was five that were prepared and five that weren't. How many days of testing are mentioned in Revelation 2 and verse 10? There's 10. How many disciples did Jesus have? 12. I was just, that was a test. That was a test. (laughs) And so the tithe is a tenth, but not just any tenth. 
It's the first tenth. But not only that, but the tithe is also a test. It's the ultimate test of my heart. Come on, you can see this pattern throughout Scripture. I'm, I'm trying to put a bit of Scripture in this today, right? But there's so much more that I could say, right? But think about this in terms of Adam and Eve, right back in Genesis chapter 2, right? That God places Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. God places Adam and Eve in the garden, and he says, it's all yours, right? I want you to have dominion. It, it all belongs to me, but I want you to steward what I've given you. Go forth, multiply, have dominion. And God places in the garden just one thing they can't touch, right? Just one tree. As a reminder to them that I'm giving all of this to you, I want you to enjoy it, but it's mine, right? It comes from me, but I want you to steward it. And so that you never fall into the trap of thinking that you own it all and you made it all, it belongs to me, but I'm asking you to steward it. I'm going to place one tree in the garden. That will be your reminder that you're stewards, not owners, right? And so notice for Adam and Eve, they were given stewardship in the garden and God gave them every tree from which they could eat except for one. And so they would exercise faithful stewardship, which meant they could touch everything, but not that one tree. And when we demonstrate faithful stewardship, we show God that we realize we're the stewards and not the owners. And so the tithe for us, just like the tree was for Adam and Eve, the tithe is a reminder to us that this all belongs to God and we are to be stewards. I shared this example last week, but in terms of the tithe being a test of our heart, God is wanting to see, can we acknowledge that actually it all comes from him and that we are the stewards, not the owners? And so you imagine if, uh, if this morning um, I was preparing to go away for a few months and so I went to, to Graham and to Callum and to Chris. And I said to the three guys, I said, hey, look, I'm going to go away for a few months, but I want to make sure that Elise, right, my bride and my kids, I want to make sure they're looked after. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you $10,000 a month, right? And, and I don't care what you do with $9,000 of it, but, but $1,000 out of that $10,000 I'm sending you, I want you to make sure that it gets to my bride. Right, to take care of her needs. But we could imagine after a few months, I, I go back to Elise and I say, hey, how, how's things working out? And, uh, and she says, well, you know, it, it, it's gone pretty well. You know, for, um, well, for, for Chris, he did exactly what I asked him to be able to do. Uh, for Chris, I, I asked him to be able to give you $1,000. I was going to send him 10 and, and so each month, just as you've instructed, he's transferred $1,000. How many people know I'm, I'm pumped? Chris is doing the very thing I asked him to do. I'm glad that he's doing that, right? And I'm glad to know that my bride's being taken care of. And then I say, well, what about, what about Callum? How's, how's he doing? And Elise says, well, do you know, I don't know why he's doing this, but he actually each month is transferring me $2,000. I think you asked him to give $1,000, didn't you? But, but he's giving $2,000 each month. And, and so how many people know, now I'm, I'm not just excited because he's doing what I've asked him to do. Callum is excelling at what I've asked him to do. He, he's giving more than what I asked him to be able to do. Right? And then I said, well, well, how's Graham going? And Lee says, well, you know, he, he, gave, he gave $800 the first month and, and he gave $300 the second month and this month I haven't seen anything. Right? In the parable Jesus tells about stewardship, he says for the guy who's got one who squandered it, he says, take it from him and give it to the person who's got 10 talents. Why? Because God is a thrifty manager. God is a wise manager. Right? And so why would he entrust something to somebody who he can't trust? Right? We talked about this concept last week. And so out of those three guys, which one has demonstrated that they're a faithful steward? Well, the truth is Chris is doing what I've asked him to do, and that's faithful. But how many people know that I'm going to take the 10 grand I'm giving to Graham and I'm going to send it to Callum because I know that if I can get money to 
um, Callum, he'll pass it on, right? It's actually Callum who's the faithful steward for this reason. He has demonstrated that he cares about what I care about. I care that my bride is looked after. And so Callum has demonstrated not just I'll do what you ask me to do, but actually I'm passionate about the same things that you're passionate about. And so he is the faithful steward in that example. And so the tithe is a tenth. The tithe isn't just any tenth, it's the first tenth. But also the tithe is a test of my heart. Here's the fourth one. The tithe is brought, not given. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, this is what the scripture says. It says to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Notice it says to bring and not to give. Why? Because the tithe belongs to God. And so it's impossible to give anything to God that already belongs to him. Right? It's impossible to do that. It's really quiet this morning in this church. <laughs> Let's imagine that I borrow, um, borrowed Alex's um, caravan. Took it for a bit of camping and he was away. And after a while, you know, you know how like once you've borrowed something from somebody, after a while you start to think it's yours? That awkward laughter is from the people who've lent tools to people and never got them back, right? But, but, but Alex lends me his, his, uh, his, um, his caravan and uh, we really enjoy the weekend that we had in the caravan. And in fact, when we get home, we think, Do you know what? There's a spot for that at our place. We'll just um, we'll carve out a little bit of a section and put a concrete pad there and we put that there. And, and after a few months, um, Alex comes to me. He's like, um, hey, Dan, you know, um, uh, about, the, about the caravan. And I said to him, what, what caravan's that? Um, you, you know, the caravan I lent to what, what, you. mean my caravan that's in the, that's in the front, of the, uh, front of our house that I've put the concrete, but you, you mean that, my caravan? Alex would murder me in my sleep because it's a brand new caravan, right? <laughs> but here's the other part, right? That, that would be ridiculous. It would be equally ridiculous for, for Callum to lend me his caravan or for someone to lend a car and then when they get back say, hey, do you know, Lisa and I have just been really praying. just feel like God's put it on our heart to graciously give you back your caravan. You can't give me my caravan. Like, it, it belongs to me, right? That, that's the whole point. The Bible doesn't say to give the tithe into the local storehouse. It says to bring the tithe. Why? Because God says it's mine. You're simply returning to me what is already mine. And, and so notice how strongly God feels about this. I, I'm not saying this, right? I'm just the messenger. I'm just reading what the Bible says. But notice how strongly God feels about this. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But, but you ask, how are we robbing you, God? And God says, in the tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, you're a whole nation, because you're robbing me. That's the context that God says, now, stop doing that and bring the whole tithe into the local storehouse. Notice that God says, right? Not only does he say to bring, but he says, will a man rob God? He doesn't say to steal, because there's a difference. Because I could break into your house in the middle of the night and steal something from you and you would have no idea, right? Until you woke up in the morning and you realized the TV was missing, right? I could do that under the stealth of night. You'd have no idea. That would be stealing. But robbery is different, right? When you rob somebody, you go into the bank with a sawn-off shotgun and you say, hand over the money. And this isn't discreet. This is very, very obvious, right? Notice what God says. He doesn't say, will a man steal from me? He says, will a man rob me? God says, I can see. And what I'm wanting to be able to see is, is, will you be a steward? 
Will you care about the things that I care about? Will you trust me as your provider by returning to me what rightfully belongs to me? And I promise you, I'll bless you. I'll cause that 90% that stays in your hand to go way further than if you'd held on to the whole amount. But I just want to know, are you going to do that right in front of me? Because I want to be able to bless you, but you keep on tying my hands because you will not allow me to be first in your life. God considers the tithe to be holy, right? And holy means separated and set apart. In other words, the first tenth is to be separated and to be set apart to the Lord. You don't give it to God. You simply bring back to him what's already his. It belongs to him. Let me take you to another passage of scripture. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy 26. I want you to see what God says here. This is kind of significant because this is as Israel is getting ready to go into the land. Deuteronomy 26 verses 1 and 2. And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Come, That's kind of significant for us because this is like a coming home journey for us moving into this facility. And it shall, and it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell in it that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. Then further down in that same chapter, in verse 13, this is what the scripture says, notice this. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house. Notice that. I've removed the holy tithe from my house. And also have given to the Levite, right? It's not just tithes, right? Tithes is returning to God what's his. It's not being generous to give the tithe. The tithe is returning to God what already belongs to him. Offering is every point beyond that. That's where generosity kicks in. And so notice what he says. I've removed the holy tithe from my house and also I've given to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, according to all your commandments which you've commanded me, not just to tithe, but to also be generous. And I've not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. Notice this. I've not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for any unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all you've commanded me. Notice the key phrase. I've removed the holy tithe from my house. When you understand that the tithe is holy and that it belongs to God, you don't want it in your house. You want to get it to the house of God where it actually belongs. And so the tithe is a tenth. The tithe is the first tenth. The tithe is a test. The tithe is brought, not given. Here's the fifth one of them. I've got 27 of these. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Here's the fifth one. The tithe is a principle before and beyond the Old Testament law. Right? i got 30 minutes. We could go a lot further into this, but the tithe is a principle before and beyond the law. Some people who struggle with tithing say, well, you know, tithing's like an Old Testament thing, you know, like it's, it's part of the Old Testament law, but, you know, we're not under the law anymore, we're under grace. And generally when people start talking like that, they, they misunderstand a few things. One, they misunderstand that Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, he came to fulfill it. And that grace holds us to a higher standard than the law ever did, right? That aside, sometimes people say, well, you know, like the Old Testament, you know, that's an Old Testament thing and we're in the New Testament now. And... But notice what God says. Right, this is how we began it. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. This is how God starts this passage. I, the Lord, do not change. Now, I agree. If God had just moved this just two chapters, it would have made it into Matthew. 
He left it in, in the Old Testament just by two chapters. This is literally the second last chapter of the Old Testament. I wonder if he did that so it would still be a test for our heart. So we're not doing it out of obligation, but we're actually doing it out of a heart motivation, right? But God says, I, the Lord, do not change. And so the tithe and the first fruits all belongs to the law. It all belongs to the Lord. And it isn't a law. It's actually an unchanging principle established by an unchanging God. I, the Lord, do not change. Think about this a different way. If something was wrong under the law, can it be made right under grace? The answer to that, of course, is no. If it was wrong under the law, it's still wrong now under grace. Right? Imagine if I come to your house and we have dinner, and at the end of dinner I'm walking past your living room, I see your TV, and I think, that TV's a bit bigger than my TV, and the state of origin's coming up. I would love to have that TV at my place, and so I pull it off the wall and I start taking it with me. And you stop me and like, hey, Dan, you're stealing our TV. And I say, no, 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 I'm not stealing. Stealing was under the law. We're under grace. This isn't stealing. I'm simply abducting it. If it was wrong under the law, it doesn't automatically become right under grace. The inverse is also true. If something was right under the law, does it now become wrong under grace? And the answer, of course, again, is no. That the Bible makes it clear that the tithe belongs to the Lord. That's throughout Scripture, right? And this isn't a precept in the law as much as it is a principle that actually even predates the law. Let me give you two more passages and I'm going to move on from this point. The principle of the tithe doesn't just exist in the Old Testament law. It actually exists before the Old Testament law. Right In Genesis chapter 14, verse 18 to 20, this is what the scripture says. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, talking about Abraham, gave to him, talking about Melchizedek, the high priest, a tithe of all. Most Bible scholars believe that that Melchizedek is actually a type of Christ, if not, in fact, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. He's the high priest of God Most High coming from a place that's not known, right? Regardless, Abraham tithes to Melchizedek in, in Genesis, right? 430 years before tithing is part of the Mosaic law. So tithing isn't just a part of the Old Testament law. Tithing exists as a principle even before the law is around. In Genesis chapter 28, right, I'll give you another one of these. Genesis 28, we find Jacob has his famous encounter with God in a dream. With a rock as his pillow, his whole life, his heart has been changed. And he rises in Genesis 28 and verse 22. And this is what he says. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that, that you give me, God, of all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth. That Jacob's tithe came straight from a grateful heart because of all that God had done. And the promise he makes to God is actually 400 years before the law and Moses. And so the tithe is a tenth. The tithe just isn't any tenth. It's the first tenth to leave my hand. The tithe is a test of my heart. Who will I honor first? Will I honor American Express, my bank loan, or God? Right? That the tithe is brought, not given, because it's impossible to give anything to God that already belongs to him. And the tithe is a principle before and beyond the law. Here's the sixth one. This is the, this is the final one. The tithe comes with a promise. Come on, we can go back to the scripture, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Notice, this isn't just a test of our heart. God says, no, 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 this is my test. Yeah, this is a test for you, but it's a bigger test for me. Because if I can prove, right, my faithfulness in your life in this area, it'll give you faith for every other area in your life too, right? Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Verse 11, notice this. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And so the tithe is not just a test of our hearts, but it's also the only place in Scripture where God actually encourages us, you can test me. I'm going to give you permission. There's nowhere else in Scripture where God says you can test me. But God says when it comes to this, you can test me. And see if I will not. Right? What God says is, if you'll, if you'll test me in this, right? not only will I bless you, but notice what the Scripture says, I will rebuke the devourer on your behalf. Pest, pestilence won't be able to touch you. Right? That doesn't mean there won't be difficulty, but you... You can test me in this, God says, and I'll rebuke the devourer on your behalf. And in addition to that, I'll pour out blessing into your life. Here's the promise of what God is really saying. This is the promise connected with the tithe. This is what the scripture says. God is saying, if you will return to me a tenth, the first tenth, in faith, acknowledging that every good thing that makes its way into your life comes from me, then I'll cause the 90% that remains in your hand to go further than if you'd held on to the whole 100% yourself. That's actually what God is promising. And and here is the truth. I know I look young, but I've been in church for a long time. Here's the truth. You ask any person who struggles to tithe, and this is what they'll say to you. I cannot afford to tithe. It's true. You ask any person who struggles with the concept of tithing, and that's what they'll say. They'll say, it's not that I don't want to honor God. It's just I can't afford to do that. I've run all my numbers, and when I get to the end... I just don't see how I can do it. This is equally true. You talk to any person who's been faithful over a long period of time when it's come to honouring God with the tithe, and they'll say to you, I can't afford not to tithe. That is as true as true. You talk, you talk to any person in either of those two categories, and, and that's what you'll hear. I can't afford to tithe, or I can't afford not to tithe. Why? Because God doesn't need you to give. And I want you to hear my heart in this, right? I'm doing a lot of teaching this morning. But God doesn't need you to give. But you do need to be blessed. Why am I talking about this? Why am I risking the fact that a whole bunch of people might be upset that I'm talking about tithing? Because I actually care about you. And to not teach you what the Scripture says about this, right, is to rob you of blessing that God actually wants to give to you. And so it's not that God needs you to give. That's not true, right? God's got lots of ways and means, right? It's not that God needs you to give, but you do need to be blessed. Come on, you're believing for the blessing of God. You're believing that some of the dreams and desires you have in your heart. Tithing is the way that we honor God, but God also says it's actually not just for your heart to be tested. God says, you test me in this. You test me in this and see, right? Right? That doesn't mean you start tithing today and then you look for like tomorrow, right? Because there's seed, time, then harvest. There's seed, time, then harvest, right? This is important, 
right? Because if the farmer wakes up in the morning and thinks, I'm hungry, he doesn't go and plant a crop and then in the afternoon goes, so where's the, where's the wheat? Because there's seed, sowing, then there's time, and then there's a harvest. It's too late for the farmer to put seed in the ground once he's already hungry. He's got to prepare in advance for that, right? So, so, so I'm not talking about, you know, tie this week and what happens next. What I am talking about is when you're faithful and consistent in this area, God says, you can test me. And if you do that, it won't just be a test of your heart. It'll be an opportunity for me to show my faithfulness in your life. And that's important. Because our last meeting with our financial advisor was actually talking about the fact that in the new year, our loan repayments will increase. And so we're being wise now and preparing for that. So we've got six months of living like that so that that's not a shock when that happens. But, But here's the truth. We want to exercise wisdom and good stewardship with what God's entrusted to us. But we also realize that if you honor God and you put him first, the testimony of my life, the testimony of lives of people, you talk to people, right? This has been the consistent testimony of their life. You'll find people say that when you honor God, putting God first will never, ever leave you second. So the tithe is a tenth. The tithe is the first tenth. The tithe is a test. The tithe is brought, not given. The tithe is a principle before and beyond the law. And the tithe comes with a promise. You know, when God teaches Israel how to tithe after they come out of Egypt, it's recorded for us in Exodus chapter 13, verse 14 and 15. This is what God says. He says, so it shall be when your sons come and and ask you in time to come and saying, what is this? That you shall say to him, by the strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of the beast. Therefore, I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that opened their um, all the males that the open womb, but all the firstborn of the sons are redeemed. But what God is really saying here is He says, when you start teaching these principles, the principle of the first fruits, the principle of the tithe, the principle of the firstborn belonging to God. God instructs Israel how to pass that principle down to future generations. And this is what God says will happen. He says, when your kid comes to you and he asks, Dad, why are we sacrificing the firstborn lamb? That you're to sit that young person down, put them on your knee, and say, let me tell you about when we were in Egypt. And let me show you the scars that were on my back. And let me describe to you what it's like to be a slave. And let me describe we were in bondage. We were slaves, and God delivered us out of bondage by his mighty hand. And because he has set us free, this is the sacred covenant that we have made with God to keep him first in all areas of our lives. And so, son, that's, that's why we gladly give him the first of all our increase, because he has been so faithful to us. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we pray? I want to encourage you this morning. Not to leave this message here, but to make it something that you pray to God about. I start this message by saying that actually whether you choose to give or not is actually a matter between you and God, and that's true. But my encouragement is, is to make it a matter between you and God. And so I want to take a moment just to pray for us this morning as we conclude. Lord, I just thank you this morning for every single person who's in this room. God, greatly loved by you. And Holy Spirit, I ask that even today, that, God, we might leave this place different, maybe even a little bit challenged, maybe even a little bit inspired by your word. 
God, to live lives that bring glory to your name, lives that honour you as the one who provides for us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd seal this message into our heart, but God, I also pray that you'd bring it back to our remembrance. That God, not only would this be a test of our heart, but Lord, I pray that you would show yourself faithful and true. God, for every single person who's in this room today, God, believing for your blessing in an area of their life, Lord, I pray today that you would show yourself faithful, strong, and true. God, for those who are in this room today, and and maybe even their finances are saying, I don't even know how I'm going to make this work, that they've done everything they know how to do practically, but God, that you would show yourself faithful and true. That God, as they honor you, God, as they test you, that God, you'd show yourself faithful. God, for people who are believing for houses today, God, for people who are in this room who are believing to start businesses, God, for people who are today believing to start a side hustle or believing to see growth in their business or promotion in their workplace, God, I pray that your hand of blessing would rest upon the work of their hands and that, God, you would cause your favor to go before them. That in the same way the psalmist said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. God, I pray, let that be the testimony of every single person who's in in this room. That even when our friends and families look and see, man, what, what is it about you guys? Who do you know? Like, where does this favor come from? Lord, I pray, let it be so obvious and so easy for us to be able to direct it and say, Lord, it comes from God. We can take no credit for this. This is God. This is Him showing Himself faithful and true in our lives. God, for your blessing. And Lord, I pray for your favor upon every single person today. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.